My name's Alberto Lopez. For those of you that don't know me, I serve here alongside our college ministry, and it's just an absolute honor and privilege to open up the Word of God uh, and just see what, how, see what God wants to communicate to us today. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're just going to get straight into it. We're going to be coming out of Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, the past few weeks, month I should say, we have been camped out in this six-chapter book written by Paul, and we've been examining seeing what this many, many century-old letter, how it speaks to our lives today and how it, we can draw from it to see how we can practically live our Christian lives. And so we start off the series with a series called In Christ. Uh, what does our identity in Christ looks like? If you missed that, all of our sermons are online at thespringstx.org. recommend you check it out. Um, and now I have the privilege to kind of pick back up in the series that we've been in called In Love. In love. So we'll be coming out of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Uh, will you please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? Verse 1 Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You may be seated as we pray. Father, thank you so much, God, for today. Lord, I pray, God, that as we unpack this word, God, that you would speak to our hearts, God, and that we would leave here changed, God, by your gospel, God, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I first became a Christian about six years ago, what year is it, 2018? Yeah, six years ago, uh, there was one specific phrase that just really captivated my heart. Uh, it, was, it was a four-letter statement that was the thing that I would see and live my Christian life through. When I would read the Bible, this would stick out to me. When I would pray, this would stick out to me. And it was this four-word statement, and it's all about Jesus. That's what it was. It's all about Jesus. The reason that captivated me is because as I began to read the Bible, as I began to grow in my relationship with God, I began to see that it's really all about Him. And that's the way I would live my life, all about Jesus. And the reason I kind of open up with that is because that's the way that Ephesians is set up. If you ever read Ephesians, it's six chapters, takes about 30 minutes. What you'll begin to notice is that this is kind of structured very similar to Paul's other letters like Colossians. And that he starts off by magnifying how amazing Jesus is and how it's all about him. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, it says something like this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. It's all about Jesus. Now, the reason I say that is because we kind of have to take a step back and see what Paul is communicating in chapters 1 through 6 so that we can thoroughly understand what he's saying in these four verses. 
Because if we don't, I believe it's the equivalent of like opening up your favorite novel. Say it's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. wardrobe. Opening up to chapter 6, reading the first four sentences, and then claiming to have it all figured out. You're going to be completely lost. And I did this with my fiance, and she was lost. Um, so although it's super simple, we're reading these four verses. It's like, children, obey your parents. Okay, that makes sense. Um, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. All right, cool. We're dismissed. No, there's more to that. So what is, what is Paul building, and why do we arrive here? And to do that, we're going to kind of take a journey through Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me. Don't worry. It's going to be super simple. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul starts off by really, in one sentence, just really putting on display how amazing Christ is. 1.3 says, In Christ we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. I don't even know what that means, but that's a lot. That's a big deal. In the heavenly places. Uh, Paul then goes on to say in Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Now, this isn't new news. This is old news. You and I, we've both trespassed against God. We have committed treason against the God of the universe in our sin. And that's what the Bible says. And it says that we deserve death because of that. Yet, Paul reminds us that in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, because Christ would die for my sins and establish my relationship with him. I have relationship with God now. I have access to God now because of Christ. Ephesians uh, 1.13, in him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So not only am I saved from my sins, He gives me his spirit, and it lives inside of me to pursue godliness, to pursue holiness, to be more like Christ. That's a good package, church, and Paul is reminding us of this. And then we get to to, to chapter 2, and he kind of begins to remind us of our condition in case we forgot. Verses 1 through 2, our condition apart from Christ. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Now I want to camp out there for a little bit because I know there's a handful of people in here who you were probably like me. You would replay the highlight reel of your sinful life in your mind and you would say, man, I've, I've done this, I've done that. There's no way that God can save me and that God can love me. Do you know who I am? And yet the Bible says that even when you were dead, like it doesn't matter how sinful you are, you can't be more dead than a dead person. You're dead. He said even in that place, he loved you and he died for you. It's the gift of God and it's called grace. The reason why this is so important to grasp is because we'll convince ourselves that you have to earn right standing with God. Like, I have to do good things so I can be in good standing with God. So, so let me obey God's word. Let me go to church. Uh, let me go to growth group. Uh, let me do all this activity so that I can look right before God. But what the Bible says is that that's filthy rag. It's not going to get you any closer to Jesus. I need a Savior to come in, save me from myself, 
and give me new life. And that's what Christ accomplished for us. And Paul said it's a gift so that no one could boast. It's kind of like saying, let me speak to two groups of people because I know there's some, some families. So say like, I buy you, I just pay off your mortgage on your house, you know, or I buy you a whole new house and we install a swimming pool and we do Chip and Joanna games. We remodel it just like you want it. It's awesome. You didn't pay a penny for it. How foolish would you look if you take a picture of your remodeled house, post it on Facebook and say, man, you know, my husband, he works such long hours to provide for this house. And, or you're like, man, I, I worked so hard and, and I paid for this myself and I did all the remodels. I fixed everything up myself. You look foolish. You didn't do anything. It was given to you. And that's our position in Christ is that I didn't do anything to deserve my salvation. Uh, One theologian says that the only thing I contributed to my salvation was the sin that made it necessary. It's the only thing I contributed. And yet when I was dead in that place, he pulled me in and he saved me. Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off, when you were far off from God, when you weren't anywhere near him, He came after you and brought you near because of the blood of Christ. That's good news. And so Paul is reminding us of this. And I'm spending time here because I believe it sets up where we're going in chapter 6. He's spending time here reminding us of our identity in Christ. Because new life demands new behavior. If you've been made alive in Christ, you will live like Christ. And so we get to chapter 4, and this is what he says. He says, therefore. Now, I love that word. I I learned this recently, so I'm going to share it because it makes me happy. Uh, Whenever we see the word therefore, we should ask ourselves, why is the therefore therefore? (laughs) Kind of makes you take a step back and see what's going on. And when we get there in in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, therefore. In other words, after taking all of this into consideration... After realizing how amazing Jesus is, how when you were dead in your trespasses, he made you alive in Christ, he redeemed you, he saved you, repent of your sin, being made alive in Christ. What he says, after all of that, I urge you, Paul says, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And then verse 4, chapter 4, 24, put on then the new self created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. And Paul, and Paul spends time doing that. He, he spends time reminding us of our condition, of our identity in Christ, and that from that place should be where our, our heart pursues obedience. A lot of times we try to be obedient for the sake of being obedient, like it's going to make us a better person. But what the Bible says is that we don't pursue obedience for the sake of pursuing obedience, or so that we can be in right standing with God. The Bible reminds us that we pursue obedience because God loves me and because I love him. It's two totally different things. You know, religion, religious obedience will say, let me, let, me, let me do everything the Bible says so that I can be a good person and I can be right before God. But what the gospel says is that God loves you, he saved you from your sin, redeemed you, gave you new life, 
And because he loves me, I choose to be obedient to him. And that's where we land in chapter 6, verse 1. Paul says this. He says, children, in every aspect of the word, you know, children of God, actual children, obey your parents in the Lord. I want us to notice this. If it just said, children, obey your parents, that doesn't mean anything to me, to be honest with you. But Paul takes it a step further and he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. So what does it mean to obey your parents in the Lord? It means to obey your parents as if you're obeying Christ himself. It means that your obedience to your parents flows from this place that you're so loved by God and that you love God so much that you obey your earthly parents as if you're obeying Christ himself. Now, I want to kind of set something straight. Um, God is not after my begrudging submission. In other words, what that means is that God is not after telling me what to do so that he can have a control over my life and take away my joy. And sometimes when we hear commandments or laws, that's where our minds tend to go. It's like, man, why is God giving me like so many rules and laws and stuff to be obedient to? But what the Bible reminds us is that God's commands and God's law, that's for my joy. It's for my good. That's important to understand that it's all about Jesus. It's not about me. And so I trust that God knows what's best for me. So when he's calling me to be obedient to his word, he's not doing it so that he can have, you know, control me and restrict me. He's doing it to liberate me. And so that I can live according to his design and to the way he set things up. I mean, I find it like super hilarious that we have to be reminded in God's word to do the things that are like common sense to us. Like, yo, don't steal. Because if you steal, you'll get in trouble. And yet, like, I need to be reminded of that. <laughs> like, don't lie. Because lying's bad. It'll catch up to you. God gives us the law. God gives us commands to be obedient to. Because it's for our good. And in every other area of our life, this makes sense. Like the Tide package says, don't eat Tide Pods. <laughs> yeah. Why? Because you'll die. It, it, it's not like the, you know, the, the CEO of Tide is sitting on his desk and is like, oh man, let me tell them not to eat the Tide Pods because if they do, they'll get magic powers. It's not what's going on here. It's for your good. And so when God is saying, hey, be obedient to your parents in the Lord, for this is right, it's because this is right. And then verse 2, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise so that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I was talking to a really close friend and they told me, I, I read them the scripture and they were like, Berto, how do I honor a mother that walked out on me? And how do I honor a father who was never there? And how do I honor an authority that doesn't honor me? 
And we have to be reminded, church, that if God's commandments are for my good, then it's not about me. And my highest priority is not my comfort, and my highest priority is not being right or correct. My highest priority is being obedient to God's word. Because it's not about me. It's about him. And as I begin to pursue and honor maybe people that have never honored me, I trust God that it's for my good and that somehow he works it all out. And that's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. And even if my obedience and my honor makes me uncomfortable and it's messy, at least I have a reference point for that in the Bible. I mean, Jesus in the garden, obedient unto death. Son, though he was, he hung on the cross for our sins. That's the place his obedience took him to. That's the place that him honoring his father took him to. And it turned out all right for him. He lived. And so though my obedience and my honor may make me uncomfortable and put me in a messy place, and I may feel like it's not right or correct, my highest priority is being obedient to God's word because he knows what's best for me. And the very reason why this is in the Bible is because it's not natural to us. Like, it's not natural to be obedient. Um, I, I, I don't remember what I was like when I was a baby. I believe I was pretty disobedient um, because I see a lot of babies that throw food at their parents. Um, no one here. I'm not calling anyone out. Uh, but, uh, sorry, Peter. <laughs> Um, it's not natural to pursue obedience. We're like rebellious by nature. Like we say stuff like, stick it to the man, and no one even knows what that means. And we tweet about like, rebellion gets authority, but not doing anything. Like, that's like who we are. It's not natural for us. And our lack of obedience and our lack of honor puts us in messy places and how gracious God is to remind us that, hey, you've been saved You've been redeemed. You've been restored. You've been made new. Therefore, pursue obedience because I know what's best for you. I love you. I want you to thrive. I'm not here to restrict you. I'm here to liberate you. Uh, And then we get to verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As a father of three, I'm super qualified to preach. I'm not, I don't have any kids. I don't have any kids. Although I might have got some of y'all, like, yo, we don't know. Uh, is he 12? Is he 25? I don't know. Um, about to be 25. Uh, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I'm not a father, that's obvious. But I have been a son for almost 24, 25 years now. And what I do know is that in the same way that we pursue obedience and honor in the Lord, 
we father, fathers father from that same place too, in the Lord. You lead and you father in such a way that reflects the nature and glory of God. The same way that Jesus has tenderly fathered you, led you, disciplined you, is the same way that you are called to father your children. Now, once again, Paul has to remind us of this because it's not natural. Like in any position of authority, whether father, mother, whatever it is, our tendency is to lead from our own will and exercise our own authority, exercise our own judgment, provoke to anger. And what Paul is reminding us here is that any authority that you have is first and foremost an authority that is submitted to Jesus. And we father from being in a relationship with God. And we're compelled by love, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And now if you have any questions about that, you can email Peter, because he's a dad, or Glenn, or any other dad. But all of our obedience, our, our pursuit of God and being obedient to his law and his commands, first and foremost, should flow from this place, is I'm just in love with God. I'm in love with God. I'm reminded of uh, this, this story I heard of a, a group of Moravian missionaries, which were some of the first missionaries out of Germany to just begin mobilizing and going to the nations to reach everyone. And so there's this story that um, a group, two young men, sold themselves into slavery so that they could hop on a slave ship, preach the gospel to everyone on that ship, and then take the gospel to wherever that boat was going. And as they were sailing off, their, their family, their friends were yelling out from the dock, why are you doing this? Like, that's the question. Like, what compels a person to do that? Um, and the story goes is that these young men from the ship as it was sailing away yelled out, no sacrifice is too great for the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. No sacrifice was too great for the king of kings and the lords of lords that had saved them from their sin gave them every single spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus and gave them an inheritance in heaven that they had to look forward to. And so they were compelled by this place of being in love with God. And so my encouragement to you is that hopefully our obedience could flow from this place of, man, I'm just in love with God. And there's no sacrifice too great that I can do for him, the king of the universe. Um, my, my earthly father, he's awesome. Uh, he's a, a fourth generation baker, like old school, um, better than cake boss. Uh, some people in here have, have met him, and he's just a man of faith, like just loves God, loves Jesus. And if he finds out you're a Christian, he kind of, like, I think he feels like it's his obligation to begin to share scripture with you. 
And like one time Evan was over at my house and he began sharing the story of like, I think it was Joshua and he was going nowhere with it. And at the end of it, he just kind of left it there. And, and you have to be there in real life because you think he's like building up to something. He's about to tell you like this awesome nugget of wisdom and he just leaves it there. And I'm like, dude, quit doing that. Uh, it, it's just, it's awesome. Uh, man of faith just loves, 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 loves God. In the past five or six years alone, I've seen my household back home in Dallas experience just so much financial insecurity and uncertainty. My dad's been laid off, hired on, multiple different jobs. Um, and yet, through that whole season, I've never seen his countenance change. I never saw his faith waver. One time he pulled me into the room and he was like, yo, don't tell your mom yet. I'm about to tell her, but I just got laid off from my job. And I was like, bro, why aren't you freaking out? I didn't call my dad bro, by the way. Uh, Señor, ¿por qué no estás, you know? Uh, it's like, I was like, what, what is it? And he was like, God's big, like God's faithful. He, he's just in love with God. He knew that God had his best for him, so there was nothing to worry about. Like, that's the man my dad is. But if you were to read the biography of his life and see what he went through and what he experienced growing up, if he was an atheist, you would be like, oh, man, I get it. That makes sense. I mean, abandoned by his father at a very young age. His, his dad moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin to start a whole new family. Emotionally and physically abandoned by his mother. And so he was like the oldest of six and at a very young age was selling gums and chips and whatever he could to make ends meet. And when he was about 18 years old, he needed work. And so he moved to Milwaukee to go work for my grandfather in his bakery. And this was late 70s, so it was like at the height of this Jesus freak movement where like hippies left and right were coming to know the Lord and making disciples. He got saved in that movement. And his life completely changed. And he reconciled his relationship with my grandfather. And then he reconciled his relationship with my grandma. And my dad loves them to death. He flies my grandpa out every few years to come spend time with us. He takes care of my grandma, just honors them. Why? Because God did something in his heart and he could no longer hold on to the very thing Christ set him free from. And I say this to say is because sometimes we want to go to this place. Man, do you know my life? Do you know who my mom is? Do you know who my dad is? How could you hold on to this thing that Christ set you free from? He calls us to be obedient to him despite our feelings, despite our opinions. And we honor and we obey and we trust God that it'll work out. And like it says, it'll go well with us. And I've seen it go well with him. As we kind of draw to a close, I want to, just with every head bowed and eye closed, not that there's anything special about this, but just so you can get just one-on-one -on -one with God so we can do business with him. Maybe you find yourself here in this place and, and, and I read these scriptures and 
And maybe your issue isn't being obedient to your parents or honoring your father and mother or even fathering in a way that glorifies God. Maybe your issue is like this whole thing, like just being obedient to God. And I want to ask you this question. Maybe the reason why it's been so hard for you to pursue the things of God, and this is the question I want you to ask yourself is, are you in a relationship with God? Have you wholeheartedly given your life to Christ? Have you repented of your sin? Because our new life and our new identity demands new living. And maybe you don't know what that looks like. Maybe you're uncertain about it. If you could maybe shoot your hand up in the air so I know who you are, I want to pray with you. Thank you. And maybe you are a Christian and, and you love God, and you love Jesus, uh, and yet there's, there's, there's something about this scripture that, that's hard for you. Being obedient unto the Lord, honoring your mother, honoring your father. Now, I love, I love this thing about Christianity because he doesn't demand overnight perfection. That's not the standard. Progress is. And so he's progressively making us more and more like Christ. So, so he's not expecting you to walk out of here and honor your mom and dad and give them all the money and X, Y, and Z. If you do that, that's awesome. But he does demand our lives and demand our obedience to pursue him and progressively grow in him. And so maybe you need God to empower you by his Holy Spirit so that you can be obedient to his word. If that's you, will you shoot up your hand so I can pray for you?